0: Well, good morning. Last week, we got to see uh, the first indications of of Saul's distrust or fear of David. And and, and that stemmed from uh, an incident that happened before where Samuel was walking away, and Saul reached out and grabbed his robe and ripped off a chunk. And and, and Samuel said, just as you ripped this chunk from my robe, God has ripped the kingdom away from you, and he's given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And from that point on, Saul was, he had his head on a swivel, if you will. He was constantly looking, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And then he heard that faithful song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And even though we looked at Hebrew poetry and even though we knew that the first person named was the most honored position, Saul took that to mean that David was going to be the king. And instantly he was suspicious of David. And he sought to get rid of David. The problem for Saul was the Lord was with David. So nothing he did against David worked. And therein lies the issue that Saul has had and will have for the rest of his life here in 1 Samuel. His will was that Saul would reign over Israel, but God's will was that David would be king. Today we're going to move further down that path toward David being king. And although David probably would have liked it to, that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over the span of about 10 years. Turn with me, if you will. We're going to be at 1 Samuel 19. <coughs> 1 Samuel 19. If you need a Bible, go ahead and shoot your hand up. We've got our uh, Bibles in the back. We'd love you to read along with us. 1 Samuel 19. We're going to start in verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, "Uh, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on your guard in the morning, and stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you." Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, And Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with a great slaughter, so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning but Michal David's wife told him saying if you do not save your life tonight tomorrow you will be put to death so Michal let David down through a window and he went out and fled and escaped Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes when Saul sent messengers to take David she said he's sick then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed, with a quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Mikal, Why have you deceived me like this, and let my enemy go so that he's escaped? And Mikal said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped and came to Saul, or excuse me, Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. And it was they told to Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in, in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that is in Sikud. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. He proceeded there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? May God add his blessing of understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, a simple prayer this morning. What we have not give us, Lord, what we know not teach us. And we will give you all the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, today we have an interesting study of relying on the Lord for your very survival. And as you may have heard while I was reading, Saul has moved beyond simple plotting and scheming to unbridled murderousness. His mind has digressed to the point that he isn't even thinking rationally anymore. The small errors that we saw with Saul in the beginning of his kingship are now amplified. And even the strongest supporter of Saul would feel pretty uncomfortable at this point. The last chapter, Saul chucked two spears at David during one of his manic episodes. And then, like the excellent, loving father he wasn't, he offered up two of his daughters to David as snares to David. You see, Saul was hoping that David would go out and get himself killed by the Philistines. It was such a good plan, it was foolproof. But Saul soon realized something that terrified him more than anything else. In the waiting verses of chapter 18, Saul realizes that the Lord was with David. And not just that, but Like a 900 B.C. made-for-TV comedy, everybody loves David. (laughs) Chapter 18 leaves off with a word of hope for Israel, in that David is tearing through the Philistines like a toddler through a birthday cake. But for Saul, it only makes his jealousy and hatred grow. I got one. (laughs) (laughs) Keep laughing. To the point where Saul's true nature is now going to be exposed to everybody around him. We're going to see Saul attempt to kill David four different times today in four different ways, which just goes to show you how far down the rabbit hole Saul has gone. Remember, Saul knows that the Lord is with David. As soon as Saul realizes this, he should have taken off that crown, walked away, and retired. But Saul doesn't do this. His will is not the Lord's will, and he continues to pursue David with his insane idea that he can actually go against the Lord. That his will is stronger and more powerful than that of the creator of the universe. The problem that Saul will encounter is God's will is infinitely stronger. Now, all that to explain the very first word of our passage today. Now. Right? Now. After all those things I just told you, here we go. Saul told Jonathan to kill, uh, or his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. We like to say that we here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship are family. But what does that mean? What does that truly mean? Families are tight knit. We watch out for each other. We bring meals to each other when one of us is sick, like the meal train that we set up for uh, Becky and Pastor Paco. We love each other but families can also bump into each other. Families can bruise each other. I think of our kitchen at home. Allison is the most patient person I know, right? She goes in there to cook dinner and the kids can be buzzing around her and they're reaching over and they're bumping into each other and they're laughing and they're talking. (sighs) Me on the other hand, I'm not that guy, right? I'm just not that guy. I want my space. I don't want people moving around me. I don't want to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, when I'm cooking, right? Sometimes I get annoyed. I'm like, everyone out of the kitchen. Just get out. Pity's sake, let me cook in peace. And I'll be sitting there stirring the macaroni and cheese all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) I wish somebody would come talk to me because we're family. And I greatly delight just like I greatly delight in my family here. Last night, as I walked past the entry table and looked at all the trunks and the games and the the cupcakes and all the supporters that were just walking around looking for something to to help with, I stuffed my face with nachos from the women's ministry. I heard kids laughing and playing in the jump house. I watched the teens in their skin presenting the gospel. I saw all the candy that everybody brought to support this event. And I heard time and again the prayers of the faithful people in this church that prayed for this event, all in the hopes of reaching someone without hope, lost in a dark world, sharing Jesus Christ in the light, the light of the world with him. I greatly delighted in my family. I felt a deep joy in the people that God has brought into my life. And if someone had walked up at any point in that and pointed a gun at any one of you, I wouldn't have hesitated to jump in front of it and plead with the gunman for the life of my family. And that's what Jonathan felt for David. Jonathan greatly delighted in David. So when he hears that Saul wants him killed, Saul has put out a hit on David, he hatches a plan with David. He says, go hide yourself. Don't come out here. You're going to get in trouble if you do. And I'll talk to my father. And we'll see what's going on. So Jonathan goes out. He talks to his, his uh, father. And he says to Saul, he says, do not let the king sin against his servant David. Notice he doesn't say, dad. right? Do not let my father. Right? He's shifting now. And he's saying, look, you're the king. You're in charge of everything. Do not let the king, the office of the king, my father the king, do not sin against the servant David, since he has not sinned against you. This is murder. This is murder that you're talking about. And on top of that, the deeds that have been done are very beneficial to you, right? For he took his life in his hand, and he struck the Philistine, and there was great uh, triumph, and, and you rejoiced in it. You saw it too. And I think that was kind of a little subtle dig there, because who was supposed to go out and fight Goliath? Who was the big, tall, strong guy that was supposed to lead Israel into battle? It wasn't itty bitty David with a sling. It was big, tough Saul. Big, tough guy Saul that sat in his tent and shivered in fear for 40 days as Goliath came out and yelled at him. He says, He did that for you. He was very beneficial for you and for all of us. Why then would you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listens to the voice of Jonathan, and he vows. He says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And we all know we can trust Saul about as far as we can throw him. So don't get your hopes up. Jonathan goes against David, and they bring him back, and he he was in his presence as before. And as we read on here, it will be just as before, right? Because the Philistines come up, they want to fight again, and they haven't learned their lesson. David's been beaten on and, and they want more. So David goes out and he beats on him. And what should be a great victory in Israel, with all joy and happiness, brings Saul back to his dark jealousy. You see verse 9 there. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord. On Saul, as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. I mentioned that last week, but again, don't let that slip past you. This is the king. He's surrounded by guards in his house. And he's sitting there with a spear in his hand. It would be like me going home, changing into my sweats, sitting on the couch, grabbing my pistol, and just holding it. Don't burn my toast. Don't make me mad. I'm watching my shows. I mean, this, is, this is the picture of Saul. This, this is how far he's degraded. He's sitting there with a spear in his hand, an, an item of war. Before you say, well, a spear is not like it. Well, that's, that's their gun of their day, right? David's playing his heart, and Saul tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. And I guess you could say that David got point. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't wait around for spear number two this time, right? He slips away. He runs. He's out of there. Saul chucked that spear so hard it sticks into the wall. <laughs> I just want you to think about this for a second. If this was a, uh, let's say this was a Hollywood movie, right? I had a little guy in the front, uh, in the last service, that raised his hand and answered this question. But I'll, I'll tell you what he said in a second. He said, "What would Hollywood do with this?" And he said, "It would be ten thousand spears and a med gun." <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably right. But Hollywood, Hollywood would have David grab that spear and rip it out of the wall, and then march over to Saul and. Sh- and the music would swell. And we'd be like, yeah, Saul got what be deserved. What is David We'll see this all throughout his and Saul's interactions for the rest of 1 Samuel. Mm-hmm. David would not strike down the Lord's anointing, the difference between David and Saul. Right? Go ahead, Bob. When I was interviewed here to be the pastor, they ask my kids, "What's the worst thing that your dad has ever done?" And they said, "Well, he does get a little angry when he drives." Right? <laughs> we all have that in us, right? That vengeance. Why does everybody suck at driving but me? We have that in us. It's true. It is. <laughs> but the question is, the question is, in our Christian walk, as as Christians, right? We identify as the Lord's servants, are we ripping that spear out of the wall and shoving it into the people that throw spears at us? Are we acting in retribution? Are we acting in vengeance? Are we like David? And We won't strike down the Lord's anointing. You can go to the next one. Thank you. <laughs> Saul sent messages to David's house. Now, don't don't confuse this, right? When he says messengers, this isn't like a, a you know US postal person with the big, tall socks and the mailbag, you know? i got a message for David. These are assassins, right? These are dudes with swords that know how to use them, and they're, they are there to send a message, but the message is you're dead, right? And they send messengers to watch his house, and they, he says when he comes out in the morning, he thinks everything's fine, he's singing, he's whistling, he's got a cup of coffee, just stab him right here. But the David's wife, told him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, Tomorrow, we will be put to death. We don't know how she came across that information, but people talk, right? And we don't often get a, a picture of, of what somebody's actually feeling in these narratives, right? It's a narrative, it's a story. Um, often we don't get that picture. We saw it with Samuel when we saw him grieve for Saul, right? But now, we're, if, if you look, turn with me if you went to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. And uh, your Bible's like mine, you've got those little headers at the top, and, and these were instructions that were given for each song on how to play it or what tune to set it to. We see that there for the choir director, set to Al Tashheth. I don't know that song, you probably don't either, but back then it was the number one on the charts. All right, they said, Set it to that tune, a them of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. This is what David was doing. Right While well, they were outside, keeping an eye on the house, waiting for him to come out, this is what David was doing. This is what he says. Listen. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Set me securely on high, on high, away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity, and save me from the men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O oh for no guilt of mind, they run, and they set themselves against me. You. Arouse yourself to help me, and see. You, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake and punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. They return in evening. They howl like a dog, and go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, Who hears? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all the nations. Because of his strength, I will watch for you, for God is my stronghold. My God and his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Do not slay them, or my people will forget. Scatter them by your power, and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. On account of the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be caught in their pride, and on account of curses and lies which they utter, destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more. That men may know God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and go around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they are not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me love and kindness. Contrast that song with how Saul reacted. Remember when the Philistines came and they had the chariots and the, the troops as, as numerous as the sand on the sea or sand on the beach. Excuse me. What did Saul do? People were fleeing, they were running away. Samuel was nowhere to be found. He said, "Bring me, bring me the sacrifice." I'll handle this. I'll do this. Let my will be done. But David, surrounded as he is in his house, is praying to God and saying, let your will be done. Protect me, Lord. That's the difference. That's the difference between David and Saul. And this is the contrast we should be looking at today if we're Christians. How do we react to adversity? Do we cry out to the Lord? Or do we reach for a knife? call, lets David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. And she takes the household—why she—they had, had household idols, I don't know, but they did. She puts it in the bed. She puts a little hair on the top of it, you know, kind of like what you did—you snuck out when you were a kid. Don't do that, by the way. <laughs> right? You think your parents won't notice it's a dummy in the bed? Right? It didn't work out too well for me. My parents are smarter than I was. And the messengers come, and it's 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 kind of like the, the modern day uh, COVID test, right? She shows up at the door and shows him a he's got COVID. Sorry. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. we don't want any of that. And they run back to the king and they say, Hey, he's sick. He's sick. He says, Go down here, pick up the bed that he's in, and bring him here. I want to kill him. When we look at this, right, we see. He puts out a hit, and God sends Jonathan to him and talks to him and brings him down. And then he chucks a spear at David, but, but God lets David get out of the way. But it just keeps escalating. He just keeps pushing against the will of God to the point now where he says, bring the man up here. I want to stab him in his Saul said to Macau when he finds out what happened, why have you deceived me like this? Really? This is the guy, the guy that's been lying for the last three chapters. Why have you deceived me like this? And let my enemy go so that he has escaped. Macau said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I put you to death? He said he was going to kill me, so I let him go. And we talked about this before, but I want to say it again. The Bible is both prescriptive and descriptive, right? Prescriptive is an order, a command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. All right? That's prescriptive. Descriptive is a story. It just describes what happened. Right? The lady walked down the street. That's descriptive. In this case, this is descriptive. So you, you'll find some people that say, oh, she lied. It's in the Bible. Lying's OK. It's in the Bible. It's descriptive. It's not saying, thou shalt lie. Right? We know the Ten Commandments. We know the 10th commandment. We're not supposed to bear false witness, right? It's just descriptive. But what we should note now is not one, but two of Saul's children have chosen David over their father. And we shouldn't be surprised about this. It happened then and it happens now. Remember Jesus' words as he quotes the book of Micah in, in Matthew 10, 34. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace a sword. And then he kicks in with Micah here. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And just as Jonathan and Macau's love for God uh, for God's anointed, caused them to, to rise up against their father in his hatred of David. We know, because Jesus told us so, that there will be times where our families will consider us enemies mm-hmm. because of our faith and our walk with Jesus. And so with, with three direct attempts on David's life, thwarted by agents of God, he sent people to protect David. Now we're going to come to the fourth time. And this time, God himself is going to intervene. Right? And we see David fled, escaped. He, he goes to Samuel. He tells Samuel all about what's going on. I'm sure Samuel wasn't very surprised. And they went to stayed in Naoth. We, we don't know where that was. Um, it, there's no way we can really know where that was. It's not like, some, like Jerusalem. We know where Jerusalem is, right? The Hebrew word there just literally means like a clump of tents or a small settlement. So it could have been anywhere. And Saul finds out about it. And so he sends those messengers again. Remember, not the U.S. Postal Service. Assassins. He sends cold-hearted, cold-hearted <laughs> cold-blooded hearted, cold assassins. And they come stalking up the road, and they see Samuel and the prophets, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes over, and they're prophesying. <laughs> Saul hears about it. You guys, go get it. And they go out there, Spirit of the Lord. They're prophesying. It's almost comical here. He sends a third group, right? Like he's going to get a different, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting different results. right? Here comes number three. Guess what? They prophesy. And so Saul, in his, in his little house there, he's, he's getting grumpy. Ah, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. I'm going to go find him. Stomping off. And the funny part is, You see the messengers, they go to David. They know where it is. But Saul, Saul doesn't even know where it is. He comes to a well in Sekou and he says, where are Samuel and David? Hey, genius, you sent three people to go find him. You don't know where he is? Somebody says, they're in Naoth and Ramah. So he goes there, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets? That stripped off his clothes there, that, that can mean a couple different things, right? Maybe he did strip off his clothes and he was walking down the street buck naked, right? In our society, when you expose your, your body, it's celebrated, right? And you jump on Instagram for five seconds and you can see more skin than you ever want to. And we celebrate that. We say that's a good thing. But in these days, if somebody saw you in your underwear, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. So he strips off his clothes. It could also mean uh, he took off his kingly robes. Remember in the last chapter, uh, Jonathan, in acknowledging that David was going to be the next king, took off his robe and gave it to David, saying, You are going to be the king. Saul here won't accept that. He will not do that. So God makes him do that. He takes that robe from him. And he prophesies before the Lord all day and all night. And then we hear that saying, is Saul among the prophets? We heard it before. Right when he was becoming king, he prophesied. And they said, is Saul also among the prophets? And it was more uh, of a, what's he doing with the prophet? This this guy isn't even uh, in the prophet bloodline. This one is, is it's more indicating is Saul being dominated by Samuel? Is the big tough guy king being told what to do by the old prophet Samuel? A little story before we get to the application. In mid-December of 1944, Allied forces were surprised by a massive German offensive through the Ardennes forest called uh, which created a bulge in the Allied lines. Caught in what would be known as the Battle of the Bulge, the 101st Airborne Division of the United States Armed Forces was holed up in Bastogne while, while German armored divisions encircled the town. And they're outnumbered, and they're outgunned. And, and the, the Germans send uh, four soldiers waving white flags. And they have two letters, one in German and one in English. And they say, we need to talk to your commander. So they blindfold him, they drive him around in circles and they take him to where the commander is. And they get this letter and this letter says, hey, we've got artillery aimed at you. If you do not surrender, you have two hours from the writing of this letter. If you do not surrender, those guns are firing and we're gonna destroy everything. We're gonna pound you into the ground. You are completely surrounded. You have no hope. Do the honorable thing and surrender. General uh, McCallothy I say that wrong. Sorry, he's probably dead now. uh, The general in charge, how about that? His reply was brief and succinct. This is what he said. He said, to the German commander, nuts, the American commander. Having made their position clear, uh, they they drive these guys back. And I was reading a story about it. It's kind of funny. They hand this to the Germans when they get back to the front line there, and the German opens up and he goes, what's this mean? And there were some expletives, so I'm not going to go into it too deep, but one of the guys says, he told you to take a running leap. Get out of here. Having made their position clear, the Americans dug in and waited for the attack. Contrary to German expectations, the 101st held out, and reinforcements arrived in the form of the U.S. Army's 4th Armored Division. The Battle of the Bulge continued for several more weeks, with thousands of casualties on both sides. But by the end of January 1945, the Allies had retaken all the territory lost to the Germans who were heading towards Berlin. The human will can be a very powerful thing. And when it's applied properly, that is to say, when it's applied to serving God, it is a good thing. But Saul, in our passage today, was not using his will for God. Saul was seeking to kill David despite all the good that David had done. Jonathan, however, was willing to protect David and sacrifice his throne for David. Why? Why? Well, this is the part that makes this story so applicable to us in the 21st century. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, we have things that that we study and, and And we're looking at them, and we call them types, right? It's a type of something. Or if you read in Hebrews, it's a shadow of something. So like the tabernacle is a shadow of the glory of the temple in heaven. So there's types in the Old Testament. And today, uh, we have two different types. If you want another instance of a a type, Joseph. Remember Joseph in the, the coat of many colors? Joseph was a type of Christ. In that this, he, his brothers um, abused him. They sold him into slavery. They thought he was dead, and then he rose again to unthinkable power. And ends up saving the very brothers that he that were that abused him. That points to Jesus, right? Joseph is an earthly shadow of the heavenly victory that Jesus won when he was abused by his brothers, and then raised to life again to save the very ones that put him to death. That is a, a type. Right, So the two types that we have here today, Saul, Saul who rejects the Lord and, is a, and his anointed king, is a type of all who would reject the one true king, Jesus Christ. He is a type of all the doomed souls that gnash their teeth and roll their eyes at the will of God. And on the opposite side of that coin is Jonathan. Jonathan is a type of all the believers that would come, or a shadow, if you will, of someone who says, I will do the will of the king. And morally, I am under the direction of the Bible. I will do and say and think what the Lord says. I will honor him with my life. And we see these two types at play in our our world today, some 3,000 years later. As the Saul's or, or the scoffers or the mockers of God align against his will and attempt to take God's place in their actions, We see this as as men call themselves women, and women call themselves men. We see the same sickness of mind that Saul displayed 3,000 years ago today as as we foist this upon children, filling their veins with poisonous (laughs) puberty blockers, desecrating the very body that God knit together while they were still in their mother's womb. But the Jonathans, the believers, say no. We don't decide who we are. God does. Amen. Genesis 5:2. God made them male and female. Amen. And it's not just that issue. The, the, the unbelievers that, that, are repre- that are represented by Saul in our passage today, they reject the will of the Lord. Every time someone hears the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace that is given to us in the death of the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they say, "No, I don't need that. I'm going to do it my way, my will. Every time." They're acting as Saul acted in our passage today. And whether the unbeliever seeks to defeat God, uh, God's King, through intrigue or outright violence, the end is the same. God will not allow His anointed King to be destroyed, and hopefully in this life, but if not in the next, everyone will acknowledge the King. Just like Saul was was taken over and prophesied before the Lord, those who hear those who hear His message of grace and submit it to their will and say no, will someday submit. They will someday be judged and spend eternity in darkness and agony. There is no in-between. There's no riding the fence. There's no independent party, if you will. There is Christ, the King, or there is you and your will. Amen. As you walk out that door this morning, you have a decision to make. Will I, like Saul, choose to fight against the will of God? Choose to say nuts to the almighty creator of everything? Or will we, like Jonathan, greatly delight in God's kingdom and place our lives under his control? The interesting thing is, even if we are a Jonathan, we still have a little bit of Saul in us, don't we? We all still have areas of our life where we seek to destroy the influence of the one true king. Maybe it's how we treat other people. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's how we conduct our business or what we look at on our TVs or our phones or our internets. Whatever it is, the fact remains that as sinful humans, we all at times seek to impose our will on our lives as opposed to the king's. And herein lies the battle of the wills. This battle is a hidden one. It takes place in our mind. We choose throughout our day whose will we will follow. Every decision we're making, we're choosing God's will or my will. Will I spend time with God today, reading my Bible, praying? Or will my will say, no, I'm too busy? I'm not that good of a reader. I'm not a great reader. Will I have the courage to speak to someone needing to hear about Jesus' love? Or will my will say, no, I'm not too good at talking to people. And since my will has already kept me from reading my Bible and praying, what if someone asks me a question that I can't answer? No, my will says I will walk past that person. I will get in my car and I will come to church and I will sing songs about how great God's love is. We've all done it. Myself included. As you go about your week this week, seek out the areas of your life where your prayers aren't thy will be done, but my will be done. And seek the Lord through his word and through prayer. Bend the knee of your will and see how God protects. I'll end now with the words of Joshua. As he was nearing the end of his life, Joshua told the Israelites and Joshua 24, 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Mm -hmm. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. If you are here today and you realize like Saul that you've been fighting against the king and God is speaking to your heart and you feel the weight of what you've done in your past and and you want to be free of it, come down as we sing that final song today. I'd love to share Jesus with you. And the freedom and the joy and the grace he so freely offers to anyone who will listen. If you'd like to come down and pray while we sing, maybe you aren't a Saul, but you, you you have acknowledged the true King, but in your life, your actions, in your heart, you said, No, Lord, I'm still in control of this. Right. If that's you, then you want to come down and Give that area to Jesus and repent and pray for God's strength to feed that area. Come pray. If you want me to pray with you? Just let me know. I'd love to pray with you. Remember, if you just want to come down and spend some time praying to the Lord. Come down. As we go out that door today, choose who you will serve. Remember, there is no neutral ground. If you ain't, if you ain't swimming, you ain't you're sinking. Right? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these stories aren't just a a history book or a textbook. These are stories that are meant to show us your will and your truth and how we are to conduct ourselves. Lord, we pray that if someone here is is like a Saul and they're, they're fighting against the king, they're fucking against his will, Lord, that you would soften their heart. That you would bring them to you. That they would bend the knee. And they would make your will their will. And for the believers that are here, Lord, but, but have those areas in our lives where that, that's ours, Lord. That's mine. But I pray that you would convict us, convict me. Convict me to repent and beg for your strength, Lord, to defeat that area in my life and to do your will. May our prayer be, God, may thy will be done. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this church. In Jesus' name.